turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, you can. If you don't, please have notes because we're going to go through a lot of scriptures. Luke chapter 7, verse 11 to verse 17. This is week number 12 when we are studying about Jesus of the Synoptic Gospels. So we're going through uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we're really mixing from all these three Gospels. We're just building up kind of the life of Jesus. We're following him historically throughout these three Gospels. And uh, today is week number 12, and we have arrived to Luke chapter 7, verse 11 to verse 17. Now, this is one of the miracles that Jesus has performed, and this is what Luke told us. Soon afterward, Jesus went into a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. Soon afterward, you guys know what just happened that Luke just mentioned to us is the miracle that we talked about last week. Anybody remember what we talked about last week? We talked about the healing of the centurion servant, right? The one that came to Jesus and he trusted so much in the power and the authority of Jesus' word. And he said, you don't have to come under my roof. Just say a word and that my servant will be healed. Jesus did, and then the servant was healed. It seems like here Luke is continuing that theme of what the power and the authority of Jesus' word can do. So he says, soon afterward, right after Jesus did this miracle, this is what happened. Jesus left and he went probably on the way to a small town called Nain. And apparently there was a large crowd following Jesus throughout that travel to the city of Nain. Verse 12, and as it happened, and as he approached that town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from town was with her. So can you imagine this is two large crowds, crowd following Jesus, going into the city, and the crowd following that uh, dead young man who's coming outside of the city, and everybody's meeting at the gates of the city. And the gates of the city is a, like, this is the hangout place for everybody in town. So it's like, Imagine that everybody in town was watching or was just there around that miracle. Verse 13, when the Lord saw her, who's her? The mom, right? When the Lord saw her, his heart went out for her and he said, do not cry. Then he went up and touched the bear. They were, they were carrying him on and the bearer stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, Arise or get up. Can we say this together, this phrase together? Young man, I say to you, get up. Let's say it one more time. Young man, I say to you, get up. What happened? The dead man sat up. Think about that phrase. The dead man sat up. That doesn't make any sense, right? Uh, dead man don't sit up, but after a word from Jesus, the dead man can sit up. The dead man sat up and began to speak or talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all, the crowds that followed Jesus, the crowd that met Jesus, the ones at the gates, everybody was filled with awe and praised God. And they said, a great prophet appeared among us. Obviously, Jesus was, yes, he was a great prophet, but he was above and beyond a great prophet. So a great prophet is not really the full description of who Jesus was. It's partially true, but it's not fully true. But this is what the, the people could imagine Jesus would be, that he is a great prophet. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. 
This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Amen? Now, well, let's start with the pop quiz. How many people did Jesus raise during his ministry here on earth? He raised the son of uh, the widow here in, in name. He raised Lazarus. Anybody else? The little girl, right? The little girl, the daughter of Jairus. Yes, Jesus raised her. Jesus raised three people, or at least three documented miracles of raising the dead that we see in the Gospels. Remember when John the Baptist sent for Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, are you the Messiah or, or should we wait for somebody else? Jesus replied and said, Well, go tell him, look around. The lepers are being cleansed and the dead are being raised. So we don't know if there's more that Jesus has raised or not, but these are the three that we have documented here. The story is very simple. As we just read it, Jesus was leaving after he healed the centurion servant. He's leaving and the crowd is following him, goes to a small city called Nain, and then a crowd coming out of the city. Apparently the mom, obviously from the scripture here, was leading that crowd, and she was so crying, so broken for her son, that Jesus, the Bible say, moved with compassion. His heart went out for her when he saw that this lady, this woman, was just crying so hard for her dead son. And he said, don't cry. And Jesus proceeded toward the crowd into the city. And he touched that um, piece of wood, pretty much, that the dead body was laying on. And the bearer, the one who was carried that dead man, stopped, the Bible say. And remember what Luke was telling us earlier, the power and the authority of the name, the word that Jesus can say that healed the servant from a distance. Now we see that one word from Jesus raised up that dead man and now the dead man is sitting down and he is speaking. So Jesus gives him back to his mom. And the result of that miracle is that everyone in that crowd was just filled with awe and praised God. Today, I just want to speak to you about three things that Jesus can do for you based on that miracle that we can glean out of that story. Number one, <clears throat> what Jesus can do is that all the effects of sin, he can or will erase. Number two, all relationship brokenness, he will replace. And number three, he will make you a living testimony to the wonders of his grace. Glory. Amen. So this all rhyme, let's say it together. Amen. Number one, what can Jesus do for you today? Number one, all the effects of sin, he will erase. Number two, all relationship brokenness, he will replace. And number three, he will make you a living testimony to the wonders of his grace. Let's start with number one. All the effects of sin in our lives in your life, Jesus will erase. Look at that. We see that this young man, we don't know how old is he till we actually reach verse um, 14. When Jesus speaks to the dead body and he says, young man, I say to you, get up. So he was a young man, but he was also the only son of his mom who was a widow so his father is dead at that point right and he's the only son for this widow and he died we don't know why but we know that his mom was so broken because her son has died imagine this the only and one son for his mom is dead being carried to be buried in a grave and it's all over and isn't that a picture of what sin can do for us 
Sin can make us dead when it comes to who God is. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1? That you were dead in your trespasses and sins, right? Colossians 2.13, also Paul said, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. Sin makes us dead when it comes to God because God is the source of life and sin separates us from God who is the source of life. Therefore, we are spiritually dead because of sin. Just like this young man who was physically dead, you and I are spiritually dead because of our sins. Amen? Amen. You can be physically alive, like you can be sitting, talking, and all this stuff. You can be physically alive in this world, but you are spiritually dead when it comes to God. Amen? Luke 15, 32, we read a story about the prodigal son who went away from his father and then he came back to his senses and came back to his father and when his father saw him he threw up this big party and he said this about his son who was gone and now is back. He said, my son was what? Was dead but now he's alive. He was lost but now he is found. Question, did the son actually die? No, the son was alive, right? He was alive and well, actually he was partying and he was enjoying his life for the most part, right? But the fact that he was separated from his father made him dead, right? And that's exactly what you and I are apart from Christ, apart from God. We are spiritually dead. You can be alive, you can be well, you can be partying and drinking and having so much fun. But when it comes to the things of God, without Jesus, we are dead. Paul said almost the same thing in 1 Timothy 5, 6. He said this, But the widow who lives in pleasure is dead even while she lives. Which one is it? Is she dead or is she alive? Well, she's physically alive, but she is spiritually dead when it comes to the things of God. Amen? So, sin separates us from God, makes us dead when it comes to the things of God. Number two, uh, you can be physically alive, but that doesn't mean that you are actually alive. You can be still dead while you are physically alive. But number three, we see that eternal death is the wages or the ultimate wages of our sins. Paul spoke about that in Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is what? Death. Why? Because people in hell are going to be separated from God for all eternity. Now, when God is the source of life and you are separated from the source of life, you're going to be conscious. You're going to be aware of your surrounding. You're going to be doing, going through all this insane amount of torments, but you're still going to be dead because you are separated from God who is life. Amen? Revelation 21, 8, here's what the scripture says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who are practicing magic arts, the idolaters and liars and all liars, they will be um, thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is what? The second death. So the first death is the physical, actual death. But then after you die that physical death, there is another sort of death that every person who doesn't know Jesus will experience, which is the second death to be in hell for all eternity apart from God, the source of life. Amen? This young man, a dead young man, is a picture of what sin can do to you and me apart from Jesus. It makes us dead, even though we might be physically alive, yet we are spiritually dead when it comes to God and the kingdom of God. But he was not just a dead person. He was what? A young man. 
He was a young man who was dead. And I tell you, Satan targets specifically young people because he knows that if he can get you out of your 20s and 30s apart from Christ, the chances of you to follow Jesus will be really, really, really slim. Amen? And look at our culture. Look at our country. You're going to see that it's specifically our young people who are, I mean, you're all, we're all dead apart from Jesus, but sin is so obvious and so prominent, particularly among our young boys and young girls. Right? Look at this. In a documentary on CNN, it says this, that the average person, the average boy, is exposed to pornography at the age of seven or eight. Seven or eight. Can you imagine that? Between 1970 to 2015, we had 45,789,558 abortions in America. That's a nation. That's insane. Peaking in 1984 with 364 induced abortion rating per every 1,000th life birth. Imagine this, one in every three or one in every four, I'm not sure how to read the statistics, but for every four kids being born in America in 1984, one was aborted. Isn't that just insane? Now, also, statistics say that 98% of these abortions has nothing to do with the rape or incest or, or, or the health of the mother. It is just the fact that our young people are getting so sexually free, they just go around, sleep around, they get babies, and because they don't want to deal with the consequences of their immoral behavior, they take the easy way out and they abort their babies. We have a problem in our country. In 2016, 3.6, look at this, 3.6 of people aged 12 to 17 reporting misusing opioids in one year. 3.6 from 12 years, old, 12 years old misusing opioids. Isn't that insane? The percentage is twice, twice as higher among adult, the older ones, which is age 18 to 25. So think about this. From age 12 to age 25, almost one in 10, one in every 10 between the age of 12 to the age of 25 misused opioids. This is crazy numbers, right? In 2015, 4,235 youth aged 15 to 34 died from a drug-related overdose. This is in one year, almost 4,500 kids, youth, young men and young women has died because of drug misuse. Isn't that just crazy? And for every, if you keep reading through that statistics, in 2015, so 4,500 died because of this opioid misuse, but for every one died because of opioid overuse or misuse in 2015, there was 119 emergency room visits and 29 treatment admission for every one of these 4,500 people. That's just one year. And we're talking the age of 12 to the age of 35. Young Americans are more likely to identify with the with being gay, LGBT community. Adult aging 18 to 29, 18 to 29 has 6.4% of the population, 6.4% of the population aged 18 to 29 identify themselves as homosexuals. That's three times the age 65 to older, which is 
among 18 to 29 years old in America, this is very recent statistics, among 18 to 29 years old, 8.3% of the women, girls, identified themselves as homosexual. Think about that. Almost one in 10. One, almost one in every 10 girls, age 18 to 29, identify herself as homosexual, compared to 46 of, 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 of guys, of boys. So that's combined, we're talking 12 or 13% of the kids age 18 to 29. That's insane, identify themselves as homosexual. Obviously, for me, why, do you know why that percentage is a whole lot higher with girls than boys? I tell you what I think, because girls start having sex at the age of 10, 12, 11, something like that. By the age 18, she has slept with so many boys, everybody hurt her, and maybe she has been sexually abused by one of her parents or somebody in her family. By the age of her 18 years old, she is a sexual mess. She just sold herself so much in so many ways. And all what she has to try now is just to become a homosexual. That's the only thing that she left for herself to try. It's just sin, sin. Between 2009 to 2019, just the last 10 years, millennials born from 1981 to 1996 who described themselves as Christians decreased by 16%. While millennials who identified themselves as unaffiliated with anything, atheist, agnostic, or just nothing in particular has increased by 13%. This is our generation. This is the younger kids that we have in our midst. I personally, I tell you, when I go to George Mason and try to share the gospel with kids, obviously you're going to see Muslims from Saudi Arabia and Pakistan and all these darkest places in the world, but I tell you from personal experience that the most common problem that I encounter is white kids, white boys, who tell you when you sit down with them, I am an atheist, I don't believe in, in God, I don't know if God exists or not, and then when you ask them specifically about their background, they tell you that they came from a Christian background, that their grandparents or their parents are either practicing or affiliated with the Christian faith. And then when they go to college, all the kids are becoming atheist or agnostic or just they, they don't know nothing about anything. They don't know about God. That's a huge percentage. I only talk with guys because I, cannot, I don't want to talk to girls when I'm by myself. So I don't know about what happens with the girls. But this is like, this is like gigantic percentage of the people that is shared with the gospel within George Mason, just like that. Grew up in church, Christian background, and now they're atheist or endorse some sort of atheism or agnostic. This young man was dead, right? And we have a lot of young men in our culture, in our country, who are just as dead. Obviously, sin doesn't spare a young person from an old person, but obviously Satan goes very hard after the younger generation because he knows if you can pass your 20s and 30s apart from Christ, there is a big chance that you will never come to know Jesus. Amen? But one word from Jesus. We're talking about what would Jesus do? And we said that Jesus will erase all the effects of sin, right? What did a one word from Jesus did to this young man? The one who was dead is now 
sitting up, right? That is so amazing because that's kind of what Paul exactly said that Jesus has done to us in a spiritual sense. Look at that. Ephesians 2, 5 to 6 talks about Christ who has made us, God made us alive together with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions and our trespasses, it is by grace that we have been saved and God raised us up with Christ Jesus and did what? Seated that us with him in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. Amen? Think about this. You and I, who were apart from Christ, were dead. And because of Jesus, what we're doing now, we are sitting down at the right hand of God. Amen? Isn't that exactly what Jesus did with this young man? The one who is dead is now sitting down. What Jesus has done literally and physically with this young man has done spiritually to every single person who has encountered him. Amen? But not only that, the young man who was dead is now talking, is now speaking, right? And isn't that what Jesus does to every single person that he encounters? Once you encounter the grace of God, once you encounter the love and the mercy of God, you can't help it but to open your mouth and talk about what Jesus has done for you. Amen? We have an example for that in John chapter 4, verse 28, verse 29. Jesus meets the Samaritan woman who has been living with five men, has been married five times. Now she's living with a guy who's not her husband. She encounters Christ. She meets him and see his grace and his love. What happened to this, this woman when she encountered Christ? Here is what it says. John 4, 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and did what? Speak, start talking, say to the people, come and see, a man has told me everything I have ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Amen? The one who is dead is now talking. The one who is dead is now sitting down. Jesus erased every effect of sin in the life of that young man. Amen? And what Jesus has done for him, has done for us, can do for everyone yeah. in this world. Amen? Amen? All the effects of sin he will erase. But number two, all relationship brokenness he will replace. Right? Look at the story that we just read. Apparently the mom, the mother, was leading that crowd out of the city because Jesus encountered her first. And then after that, he moved forward to touch the coffin where the, where the lad was, was laid down. Now, apparently this mom was so broken. That's why the Bible say that Jesus' heart, I love how the NIV puts it, Jesus' heart went out for her. She was so crying, so broken for her son that Jesus couldn't help it but to move so much with compassion for her to raise her son, right? Now, this woman was in such a bad shape. Think about this. First of all, she's a widow. Right? Now, in that culture, the man is the breadwinner. He's everything. The woman just stays home and just, you know, care for the family. So her husband has died. Now she's a widow. Nobody cares for her. And not her firstborn died or one of his kids died. Her kids died. Her only child died. So her husband died and her only child has died. How much support is left for that woman? Nothing. Zero. She's left alone. She was so broken when her son died. On top of the fact that's her son who died. She now is having a dark, drastic future because she has no support whatsoever. And it was the tears of that woman, her brokenness, that really, really 
made Jesus perform all this miracle. Because of Jesus' compassion for the woman, he raised up her son. Amen? And isn't that a picture of sin? Because when people sin, it's not only the ones who sin affect, are affected by sin, but even those who are around them, the people who cares for them, are also affected by their sins, right? Like, like our young man here, he died as a picture of sin, but who got hurt in that process? His mother, right? And that's precisely what sin does for us. Sin doesn't just ruin your own life, ruin your own bring consequences on your own self, but also on those that you care for and that you love. Yeah. Look at this. In 2013, just another one of these statistics, there was four, uh, 429,000 foster kids in our foster system. That's in one year, in 2013, right? 32% of almost this half million kids are in foster care because their parents are addicted to opioid. So the mom is probably a single mom, addicted to opioid, she cannot raise the kids. Now we're talking about almost 150,000 kids in foster cares because of their parents' wrong and sinful decision. That's in one year. We're not talking in a decade, we're talking in one year, almost 150,000 kids. Because when the mom sinned, when the mom tried to embrace sin and embrace all these sort of addictions, what happened? The kids get messed up. The father molests the child and then the child grow up to be a homosexual or decide that he's going to explore with all sorts of sexuality. The father is the one who commits the sin, but everyone around that person bears the consequences of the sin of their father. If the father commits adultery, he's not the only one who's, who's hurting himself. All his family suffers with him. The wife, the kids, everyone bear the consequences of the sin that the father has committed. A womanizer father most likely will have womanizer sons. It's just the facts. When you sin, not only you, but the people that you care about are also affected by your sin. Proverbs 17, 25. Here is what the scriptures say. A foolish son brings grief to himself, right? Yes, brings grief to his father and bitterness to the mother who born him. Well, if he's foolish, let him bear the consequences of her foolish acts, right? It's true, and he does. But it's not only him who's being affected. His parents are being affected. His mom and his dad are broken because of that foolish son who's embracing sin and going after passing pleasures. Amen? But there's some good news. Amen? That's precisely what Jesus has come to do. He has come that, so that all brokenness in every relationship he can mend and he can heal and he can replace. Amen? The Messiah who said about him this in Isaiah 61 verse 1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me for the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And look at this. He has sent me to do what? To bind up the broken hearted. Every single broken relationship Jesus can replace. He can restore. He can mend. He can heal. And becomes far much better than what it was in the past. Amen. And that's precisely what Jesus has done in our story. After Jesus raised up the young man, what did he do? He sent him back to his mother. Is she crying anymore? 
Now, why? Because one word from Jesus has healed that brokenness that happened when the son has died. Amen? Just one word from Jesus and your prodigal son will come home. Your prodigal relative will come home and everything will be healed. Everything can be restored. And whatever sin has ruined, just one word from Jesus and every broken relationship, every broken heart will be healed and restored. Amen? What does Jesus do for you and for me? Number one, all the effects of sin he will erase. Number two, all relationship brokenness he will replace. But number three, he will make you a living testimony to the wonders of his grace. Amen? Look at that in verse 16. When the young man rose up from, his, from the dead, he sat down and started talking. The crowds who came with Jesus and who met Jesus, the Bible said they were all filled with the Ah, and praised God. Everyone was shocked and amazed at the transformation that took place in that young man's life, right? And I tell you, this is precisely what one word from Jesus, one encounter from Jesus can do for every person who meet him. This is what Jesus has done it for you and for me, and he'll do it again over and over if you just allow him to speak one word in your life. Amen? Look at this, just a couple of quick examples. First Peter 4, 3 to 4. Here's what Peter writes to, to, to the people who were in the dispersia. He said this, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do. Think about the word in the past. Is that something they still do or something they used to do? They used to do, right? You have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, uh, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised. Look at these words of verse 4. They are shocked. They are in awe. They are surprised that you don't join them in this reckless, wild living anymore. Look at that. When the grace of God touched the people that Peter was writing to, they quit this kind of life, the debauchery, the lust, the orgies, the drunkenness. They stopped all of that. And the people who used to practice this stuff with them are in awe, surprised and shocked. How in the world these people have changed? Why in the world they're not living the same kind of life that they used to live with us? They didn't know that when Jesus encountered a person, he will make that person a living testimony to the wonders of his grace. Amen? Amen. Galatians 2, Galatians 1, 22 to 24. Now we talk, read about Paul, who used to be Saul, who used to prosecute, persecute the church, but now has encountered the living Christ. And now he's recalling his story, his testimony. And here is what he writes here in Galatians 1, 22 to 24. I was personally unknown to the churches in Judea that are in Christ. Look at this. They only heard the report that the one who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy, tried to destroy, and they praised God because of me. And in a way, what Paul was saying here, when the churches heard that the one who once tried to destroy the faith is now preaching the exact same faith that he once tried to destroy, now they are in the Ah, they're shocked. They're praising God because of the transformation of His grace in my life. Amen? And that's what Jesus did for you, for me, for every single person who would encounter Him. He'll pick you up and He will make you a living, walking testimony to the wonders of His grace. Amen? Yes. Amen. Yes. 
Three things Jesus can do, and then we'll close in prayer together. What can Jesus do to every single person from that story? Number one, all the effects of sin he can erase. Number two, all relationship brokenness he will replace. And number three, he will make you a living testimony to the wonders of his grace. Let me close with that thought. How much effort do you think this young man needed to do in order to get Jesus' attention so Jesus can do all this stuff for him? Zero. Zero. Why? Because he's dead, right? He can't do nothing. He's dead. And that's exactly what we need to know, that there is nothing we can bring to the table to God so that he can change our hearts. All that we need to do is just come to him and say, there's nothing good in me. Would you please fix this mess? And if we do that, then one word from Jesus will change everything. He'll speak to you the same way he spoke to that young man. And he will say, young man, young woman, young person, I say to you, arise. Amen. It was the prayer, the cries, the tears of the mom that made Jesus move to touch and heal that young man. Amen. Amen. And in a way, I want to encourage us as we're trying to pray and fast and seek God for, for, for those who don't know Jesus. They're dead people. They can't do nothing to help themselves or to improve themselves. But you know who can move Jesus to touch these dead people so they can be transformed and become living testimony to the wonders of his grace? Who can? You and me. Right? If we cry, if we weep before the Lord, if we seek his face, just like this mother... The same Jesus who moved with compassion, whose heart went out for that lady. I believe that his heart will also go out for us. And he will do the exact same thing that he did for that young man. Amen? Amen. He will erase all effects of sin. He will restore every broken relationship. And he will make dead people a living testimony to the wonders of his grace. Amen? Amen. Let's come before God in prayer. here today and I think we're all Christians here but if you don't know that you can go to heaven all that you have to do is just allow the living Christ to transform your life but if you're here today and you know somebody who's still dead in their sins which I think we all do let's be like this widow so desperate and broken Cry out to God, to Jesus. And the same Jesus who moved with compassion to raise up this dead young man will also move with compassion and visit us and transform everything once and for all. Amen? Amen. His heart went out for her. We're not serving a harsh God who doesn't care, who doesn't see. We serve a God who's full of compassion and love and grace for each and every one of us. Amen? Amen. Let's just seek him. Let's just go after him. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Just take a couple of more minutes and pray.
think this song is just a, <clears throat> it's actually a prayer for us. Take me and mold me and make me a vessel of honor, Lord, that fits for you. Kind of like, I feel like we're all Christians here, but just like this mother, just display your glory and your life in me so that you can be glorified. If you know this song, you can sing it. You can stand if you want. You can sit if you want. If you don't know this song, you can just listen to um, the words of the lyrics, and then we'll close in prayer afterward.
We love you, Lord, and we thank you that you are a God of compassion, a God of mercy. We thank you that your heart goes out and we cry out to you. And I pray that you will help us to be as desperate as this uh, widow, Lord God, to cry out to you so desperately for the sake of those who don't know you, Lord God, our friends, our relatives, our loved ones, our family members, our neighbors, Lord God, who just like this young man are dead in their sins. But we thank you that just one word from you, Lord Jesus, and you can reverse all the effects of sin, Lord God. Just one touch from you and everything will be changed. You can heal all these broken relationships, Lord God, just when you visit us and touch us. And you will make our lost, prodigal, loved ones a living testimony to your grace, to your love, to your mercy, and to your power. We thank you and we ask you that you will help us to just be desperate and seek after you full-hearted. In Jesus' mighty and matchless name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, we're going to uh, do the communion first, and then after that, um, we're going to do the offering. Amen. So let me, um, uh, Wayne, if you don't mind, to come and help me with the communion. Just a quick um, thing here, and I know we're all Christians. I'm not super worried today, but who participate in the communion? Just a couple of quick uh, things. We say this every time.